0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Midlothian, Texas. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Mary Leanne Missy Strickland grew up in Jacksonboro, Texas. Missy was known for being extra friendly and always inclusive. Her obituary read Missy never met a stranger and was always willing to give everything she had to others. After graduating from Jacksonboro High School in 1988, Missy attended several colleges and in 1995. She graduated with a Bachelor of Science. For the next few years, Missy worked a retail job, and it's there that she met Brandon Beavers. The two fell in love, and within a few years, on June 20th of 1998, they made it a forever thing. Following their wedding, Missy had a renewed focus on life. She already had that Bachelor of Science degree, but she decided to go back to school to get her teaching certificate in special education. Missy was strong-willed and always completed what she set out to do, so after she got her teaching certificate, she taught for several years until it was time to start a new chapter in her life, motherhood. Her first daughter was born in March of 2001. After welcoming their first child, the Beavers decided that Missy would be a stay-at-home mom. Within two years, Missy and Brandon had a second daughter, and four years after that, they welcomed their third. By 2007, their family was complete, and Missy could not have been happier. Her obituary states, Missy loved her family unconditionally and saw to their every need. She loved to encourage her family to live out their dreams. As the Beavers' children got a little older, Missy decided to do something for herself, so she started going to the gym. It started out as a hobby, but quickly became a passion of hers. After working on her own health and fitness, Missy decided she wanted to help others do the same. With that, she became a camp gladiator instructor, where she taught her campers how to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually fit. She would regularly post about her Camp Gladiator classes on Facebook since it was the easiest way to communicate with her campers about dates, times, and locations of classes. So it came as no surprise when Missy posted about an upcoming class at 7.55 p.m. on Sunday, April 17, 2016. She wrote that her Monday morning class would be starting at 5 a.m. at Creekside Church of Christ, which was in the 5400 block of East Highway 287 in Midlothian, Texas. Missy wasn't a member of the church, she just taught classes there. They were usually held outside in the parking lot, unless there was bad weather, in which case they'd head inside and resume the classes there. A thunderstorm was predicted for Monday morning, so Missy added, If it's raining, we're still training. No excuses. You are gladiators. At around 9.25 p.m., Missy posted to Facebook again, saying she was headed to bed since she had to be up super early for class. The following morning, at 4.16 a.m., on what was now April 18th, Missy pulled into the parking lot of Creekside Church. It had just stopped raining but was still messy out, so she decided to hold that day's classes inside. She parked under an awning at the south entrance and started carrying her things inside. 44 minutes after parking, at just 5 a.m., Missy's camper started showing up for class. As they walked up to the church, they noticed Missy's truck still parked under the awning. They entered the church and headed to the southwest corner of the building to start their classes, but there, on the floor in the hallway, they found Missy lying unresponsive. According to court documents, there was a pool of blood and pieces of broken glass scattered all over the floor. Several tools, including a large hammer from the church, were lying near Missy's body. The campers immediately contacted emergency services. While waiting for help, one of the campers called Missy's husband, Brandon, who was on a fishing trip in Biloxi, Mississippi, which, according to his brother, had been planned for over a year. It's not totally clear what the camper said during the call to Brandon, because when he got off the phone, he called his mother, Marsha, and told her that Missy had been in a car wreck. It seems more than possible that the camper was distraught during the call and Brandon misunderstood what she said. Or maybe it was just so early that Brandon had been woken up by the call and didn't totally understand what was being said to him. Either way, some wires were definitely crossed, and at first, Missy's loved ones thought that she had been in a car accident. While Brandon packed up his stuff and rented a car to make the nine-hour drive home, Marsha called her daughter, Brandon's sister, Christy, and told her the news. She asked Christy to meet her over at Brandon and Missy's house so that they could be with Brandon and their three daughters, who were still asleep. Within 10 minutes of receiving the 911 calls, first responders arrived at the church and made their way to the hallway where Missy was lying unresponsive. According to police, while medics tended to Missy, police officers searched the building for the perpetrator, but whoever it was was long gone. All the officers found was a bunch of broken glass inside the church hallways and multiple signs of forced entry. There were busted double doors on the northeast corner of the church. However, there was no evidence that anyone had gone through the doors, they were just broken. There was also a metal door with a busted window on the north side. So Missy entered the church through the south side, and the perpetrator seems to have entered on the north side. The suspect had entered through that door, possibly by reaching inside the broken window and using the knob or handle. As officers were finishing up their search, 45-year-old Missy Beavers was pronounced dead. As much as they wanted to save her, there was nothing they could do. With that, detectives were called to investigate Midlothian's first murder in seven years. Their first order of business was going through the church's surveillance footage. Unfortunately, their outdoor cameras weren't working at the time. However, there were cameras inside the church that did still work. And what those cameras captured continues to haunt people to this day. Court documents show that at 3.50 a.m., the person police believe is responsible for Missy's murder is seen on camera for the first time. The suspect had broken into the church prior to being seen on camera. However, there was no alarm system in place to warn authorities that anyone was inside. The suspect was wearing something similar to a SWAT uniform, a heavy helmet, tactical pants, boots, and gloves. The suspect was also wearing a heavy vest that clearly says police on it. It's a really weird video to watch because whoever this is does not look comfortable in what they're wearing. Coming from a law enforcement family and being in one currently, I'm around a lot of police officers, including SWAT officers. The gear they wear is heavy, but they're used to it and form a certain kind of stance and walk when they wear it. Whoever this was on the church video did not seem comfortable in all of this police garb and walked with a specific kind of gait or way of walking. Instead of their feet pointing forward when they walked, they pointed outward and they almost had kind of a limp. Investigators said that they can't tell from the video if the suspect was armed with anything other than a hammer-like tool. From 3.50 to 4.20 a.m., the suspect goes from room to room with the hammer or similar tool in hand, breaking windows, prying doors, and going through offices. They also spent several minutes in the kitchen. I want to put emphasis on several minutes because whoever this is, they weren't in any kind of hurry. At one point in the surveillance video, the person stands at one door for nearly a minute, casually trying to get it open. They eventually give up and slowly meander away. At 4.16 a.m., Missy pulled up into the church parking lot and parked near the entry door so she could get equipment inside. Four minutes later, she walked through the South Breezeway doors into the main foyer and then down a hallway toward the southwest corner of the church. Missy had no idea that the person with the hammer and swat light costume was in there. Unfortunately, as she walked toward the southwest corner, Missy walked out of range of the camera's motion sensor and it turned off, meaning what happened next was not recorded. After killing Missy, the suspect was then seen walking down one of the hallways alone. They presumably walked out the same way they came in, through that metal door that had the glass broken out. Just minutes later, at 4.35 a.m., the first camper arrived at the church. They waited in the parking lot until it was time to go to class. It was only 25 minutes after that that at least two campers went inside and found Missy. After investigators looked over the surveillance footage, they asked church employees to go around and see if anything was missing. They looked, but it didn't seem like anything was. This person had meandered around in full police-like gear, breaking glass and trying to get into locked doors, but there didn't seem to be any motive. Investigators checked to see if there had been any previous break-ins at the church in the previous year, you know, to see if maybe they had a repeat offender who had escalated, but there hadn't been any. With that coming up empty, detectives went to work searching Missy's truck, but we'll get to that in a minute. Later that afternoon, the Midlothian Police Department held their first press conference in regards to Missy's murder. MPD explained that they would be releasing a seven-second-long clip of the suspect walking around the inside of the church. They asked for people to watch the clip and contact police if they thought they knew the identity of the suspect, who they believed to be male. Before the conference ended, MPD addressed a few possible theories as to why Missy was killed. They said it was possible she interrupted a burglary in process. However, they felt like 4 a.m. was a weird time to rob a church, so they were also exploring the possibility that Missy's murder was targeted. With that being said, there was also a possibility that Missy was the victim of an elaborate random situation. All scenarios were on the table. While all of that was going on, Brandon had been driving back from Biloxi and finally got home. When he pulled up, there were reporters waiting for him on his doorstep because apparently boundaries don't exist. He wound up speaking briefly with Fox 4 and said he hadn't had time to absorb anything yet. He didn't even know any specifics of what happened to Missy. He had only heard bits and pieces from the police on the phone. He went on to tell the world about how Missy was a good wife and mother and how she was passionate about transforming people's lives with fitness. He asked that people pray for Missy's loved ones and pray for the killer to be caught. Over time, Brandon continued speaking to the media, asking the public to review the video and to send prayers. On top of the public pleas for help, he also met with investigators at least once a week. The following day, April 19th, law enforcement announced that Missy's autopsy had been completed, but that they wouldn't be sharing her cause of death. They did give the public something, though. They released an additional 19 seconds of footage of the suspect inside the church, walking around, opening doors, and looking inside them. MPD also retracted their statement that the suspect was male. They said, To clarify, at this point, there are insufficient facts to justify referring to the suspect as either male or female, as we acknowledge either is possible. The department's desire is for the public to analyze the video to see if the walk in stature or the suspect is recognizable. And when you watch the video, which I'll link in the highlight of this episode, it's really hard to tell anything about the perpetrator. I've tried comparing the height of the person to the doors in the church, but the video is at an angle, so it's really hard to tell. And we already talked about the awkward way the perpetrator carried themselves and walked. They walked with their feet pointed outward instead of forward. It's so distinct that I'm willing to bet they thought the release of the video would lead to someone recognizing it and calling in a tip. The next day, April 20th, Midlothian police announced that the Texas Rangers, ATF, and the FBI would all be joining the investigation into Missy's murder. The day after that, authorities released the search warrant for Missy's truck, which had been parked under that awning. It was revealed that when investigators looked over her truck, they found that the front passenger door, the bed cover, and the tailgate were all open. The keys were on the tailgate and workout equipment was still in the back of the truck. Missy's wallet, handbag, phone, iPad, gun, and more were still inside. But that wasn't the only thing mentioned in the warrant. It also included Missy's cause of death. The warrant stated that Missy died from a head wound and that the person in the video used an unknown instrument to cause her death. No other information was given about Missy's injuries, as MPD wanted to keep that close to the vest. Four days after the murder, MPD held another press conference where they released an additional two minutes of footage, hoping against Hope to generate some new leads. They asked the public to focus on the mannerisms and gait of the suspect, gait being the way the person walked. At that point in the investigation, there were a lot of people speculating on social media about who killed Missy. Of course, there were people who thought Brandon was involved simply because he was her husband. But Brandon could not have been the killer. It's confirmed that he was, in fact, nine hours away in Biloxi. Unfortunately, amateur sleuths on the interwebs did not seem to care who police crossed off their suspect list. People pulled all sorts of cruel shit, like messaging the beaver's oldest daughter on social media, saying things like, your dad killed your mom, along with other stuff. Brandon, however, wasn't the only person in the line of amateur sleuth fire. For multiple reasons, I won't even begin to entertain. Some focused on the idea that Brandon's father, Randy, could be responsible. Brandon's mother, Marcia, told People Magazine that it was impossible for Randy to have been involved because he was in California with his wife at the time of the murder. They had to fly back home after getting the news. That fact was also confirmed by police, yet the speculation continued. The media traction and public speculation surrounding Missy's murder got so much worse on April 27th when authorities released a search warrant detailing how on April 22nd, four days after Missy's murder, Randy brought four shirts to a dry cleaner, one of them stained with blood. According to the warrant, after Randy dropped off the shirts, an employee called the police and stated that Randy told them the blood came from an animal. The employee also said it looked like someone attempted to clean the shirt prior to it being dropped off. Police seized the shirt and sent it off for testing. As you can imagine, the fact that Randy dropped off a bloody shirt four days after Missy's murder was suspicious to people, even though, again, he couldn't possibly have been the murderer as he was in California. The same day the search warrant information was released, Randy and Brandon spoke to the media outside of the police station. They said they wanted to explain the contents of the search warrant in order to put out any fires it might start. Randy reiterated that he was out of town with his wife, Vicky when Missy was murdered. After they flew back home, they picked up their dog and went to stay with a family member. While they were staying there, Vicky's dog and the family member's dog got into a fight in which Vicky's dog was severely injured. They rushed it off to the emergency vet, where sadly the dog passed away. Randy explained that the blood on the shirt he dropped off at the dry cleaners came from the dog. Randy and Brandon both told the media that they were glad the dry cleaner employee called the police because they want people to be diligent and report when they see or hear something suspicious. Randy and Brandon said they wanted that kind of energy to continue. The next update in Missy's case didn't come until May 3rd when MPD released an evidentiary search warrant which revealed that Missy had multiple puncture wounds on her head and chest which were consistent with tools the suspect was carrying throughout the building. Remember, the suspect had a hammer or similar type tool in their hand during the recording. While most had put together an idea of what had happened that morning, this was the first time it was confirmed to the public. It was also just the beginning of information that was about to be released. The next day, May 5th, search warrants for Missy's LinkedIn, as well as multiple AT&T phone numbers, was released. Why LinkedIn? Apparently, Missy's friend told investigators that less than three days prior to her murder, Missy had showed her a private message from her LinkedIn account. The contents of the message have never been released, but we do know that it was from an unknown male who was, quote-unquote, creepy and strange. The warrants also showed that Missy and Brandon were having financial trouble and their marriage was struggling due to numerous affairs on Missy's part. It's so hard when you have to include things like this because I worry there are people who are now going to view the victim negatively. But let's remember that Missy was an incredible mother, friend, daughter, and did absolutely nothing to deserve what happened to her. As far as the financial troubles brought up in the search warrant, Brandon told ABC that there weren't any, though he did not deny that they had marriage struggles. The search warrants described how Brandon told investigators he knew Missy was having an affair with at least one person, whose name we do not know. When investigators looked through Missy's LinkedIn account, they found out she was having an affair with a man Brandon hadn't mentioned, likely because he had no idea. Only a handful of details about that relationship have been released. Missy started seeing the man on LinkedIn in January of 2016, three months prior to her murder, and they continued talking until her death. Their messages were deleted after every conversation ended, so they could only be partially recovered. What investigators could recover showed that Missy had an intimate relationship with the man, and they'd arranged to meet up on at least one occasion. Investigators spoke with the man who confirmed their relationship and his phone contents were downloaded. Details on what, if anything, was found on his phone have never been released. In addition to searching Missy's LinkedIn, investigators got the warrant for AT&T. They were looking to get information on calls, messages, texts, emails, GPS, etc., from the phones of seven people, including Missy, Brandon, Randy, and one of the men Missy was having an affair with. In the warrant, investigators stated it was a possibility that the killer was in communication with Missy and had used a cell phone to check Missy's social media for workout schedules and to possibly record Missy's murder. I don't know where the recording bit came from, but as with all of the other warrants, no details have been released as to what, if anything, was found. On May 6th, Midlothian police announced that they were bringing in the New York Police Department to assist in the investigation. CBS News reported that the NYPD has high-tech tracking devices which analyze pings from cell towers. Additionally, NYPD could check to see if there was someone who continued showing up at the crime scene over and over again very criminal minds. If it turned out there was a looky-loo, they could then run surveillance on said person, and if the person got close enough to the surveillance team, the NYPD could then deploy a Stingray tracking device on their phone. Stingray devices are actually pretty amazing, and trick a person's phone into thinking their service is coming from a cell tower when it's actually coming from a law enforcement device. The device can then capture damn near everything that happens on the phone, from phone calls to text messages to Google searches. Though, once again, it's unclear if anything ever came from this avenue of investigation. On May 20th, MPD held another press conference to discuss Missy's murder. They said they were still receiving tips every single day and had received around 1,000 in total. While a steady stream of tips is great, law enforcement noted that many of them were rooted in speculation and not facts, which caused them to spend hours upon hours looking into things that didn't ultimately pan out. They went on to say... As would be done in any murder investigation where the suspect is not known, the initial focus was on people who were close to the victim, such as friends, family, and coworkers. These people are often referred to as persons of interest. From persons of interest sometimes come suspects. At this point, none of the family, friends, or coworkers of Missy Beavers are considered suspects. Despite various theories circulating through social media, none of the people named in our affidavits are now suspects. Several family members seem to also be at the center of the public's focus. I just want to be clear that the Beavers family, including Mr. Beavers and his father, Randy, have been cooperative, forthcoming, and provided detailed alibis that have all been corroborated through independent sources. Until Missy's killer is caught, I will stop short of saying that any person is absolutely excluded, but to be clear, none of Missy's family are at the focus of this investigation. After clearing that up, MPD released more information about the suspect based on a detailed forensic analysis of the surveillance done by the Tarrant County District Attorney Forensic and Technology Team. MPD said that the height range for the suspect ranged from approximately 5'2 to 5'7. They were most likely light-skinned, although authorities couldn't be absolutely sure. MPD also said the suspect went through great effort to conceal their identity so their gender is still unknown. MPD stated the suspect's feet appeared to turn outward away from the body, more predominantly on the right foot. Investigators are interested in persons who fall within or near this height range and have a similar walk or gait or may have had a similar walk or gait during the time of this offense. It's possible the gait was caused by a temporary condition, injury, or other factor, and the suspect may no longer exhibit this walk or gait. MPD said they hadn't ruled out the possibility that more than one person was involved, despite only one person being seen on camera. They also said they weren't sure where the suspect purchased the tactical gear, since, unfortunately, it's readily available and not controlled. WFAA further reported that investigators have said they don't believe the killer is a member of law enforcement. Lastly, the department released a still shot of a silver Nissan Altima caught on camera outside SWFA Outdoors, which was about a half a mile down the highway from the church. The picture was taken a few hours before Missy's murder. PD said they don't think the driver is connected to Missy's murder, but they do want to speak to them. On May 25th, it was reported by numerous sources that Missy's friends and family had gotten friend requests by someone using her name and photo on their account. Obviously, it wasn't Missy, so alarm bells started going off. Days later, police told NBC News, the best we can tell so far, the profile is gone, which means a dead end for us. They said it could have been a scam, glitch, or even a joke, and as far as I can find, investigators never determined who created the profile, but we can be rest assured it was done by a sadistic piece of shit. By the time June came around, things really started to slow down in Missy's case. Tips weren't coming in as consistently, and media coverage wasn't as frequent. There was only one big story to report on that month, being the lab tests. Lab tests had proven that the blood on the shirt Randy took to the dry cleaners really did come from the family pet. The man had lost his daughter-in-law and dog in just a matter of days. Brandon's sister, Christy, told NBC DFW that the family was frustrated because there were no answers. Even though lab tests had proven Randy was telling the truth all along and police had blatantly stated that none of Missy's family, friends, or coworkers were suspects, people were still blaming Brandon and his family for Missy's death. In July of 2016, fresh-eyed investigators from Dallas and Fort Worth looked over all the evidence collected but found nothing new. Before the month was over, weekly updates from authorities came to an end as the investigation slowed down even further. At some point before December, police hired Dr. Michael Nirenberg, a forensic podiatrist, to review the surveillance footage. Dr. Nirenberg later told CBS, When I took this case on, I had a police officer put on similar armor and walk with and without the armor. The doctor put the armor on as well to see if it would change the way he walked. The doctor found that wearing the gear and carrying a weapon affect gait. Therefore, it's difficult to know if that's how the killer moved in regular clothing. Dr. Nirenberg also mentioned that the suspect's gait was not uncommon, saying, You can see how the left toe is slightly out-toed, and the right toe is significantly out in this person. A large number of people in the population are going to have that. When asked if he could tell the suspect's gender by their gait, the doctor said no, which seems kind of obvious. Before the year was up, investigators searched a home 30 miles away from Midlothian in Ennis, Texas. The home was owned by a retired police officer with a similar gait as the suspect. At first, it seemed like maybe police were finally making progress. However, Dallas Morning News quickly reported that the man was ultimately cleared as a suspect after his alibi was confirmed. In January of 2017, law enforcement released surveillance footage, instead of just the still shot, of that silver Nissan Altima outside of SWFA Outdoors. It showed the driver slowly circling the parking lot and at one point turning off their lights just to turn them back on. MPD repeated that they don't think the driver is connected to Missy's murder, that they just wanted to talk to them. To my knowledge, the driver has never been identified, and if they have, that information has not been shared with the public. At the one-year mark of Missy's murder, the MPD assistant chief told NBC DFW, in this case, justice for Missy has been delayed too long. He said that police were still receiving tips, but that they were waiting on the vital, critical tip. The assistant chief said it's just difficult from a human perspective to believe that a wife, a girlfriend, brother, sister, husband, nobody was spoken to. Nobody had a serious question about where that person was that day. And so, yes, absolutely, that would be great if that person came forward. But that person never did come forward. In December of 2017, Brandon spoke to ABC about how he was holding up. He said, I have spent most of this time feeling my responsibility to Missy was to find this person. That's just not realistic. I'm not giving up in faith, just a reality where I've spent many months driving myself crazy with this. I'm powerless in the big picture here, to believe I have any ability to solve this. My biggest priority now is my daughter's welfare and to do whatever I can to help us move past the pain. Months later, in February of 2018, the assistant chief of MPD told NBC DFW, If you told me two years ago that we would be talking about this case and it's still unresolved, I would have thought you were crazy. It's just not something I anticipated. Missy was a mother, daughter, wife, and had three little girls. To look across the table at her family and have to admit the amount of information that we don't know is frustrating. Two months later, in April of 2018, law enforcement held a press conference to mark two years since Missy was murdered. They said they'd been working with outside resources and using whatever new investigative techniques were released. MPD also said that whenever they get a tip about seeing someone with a similar gait to the suspect, investigators try to track down surveillance footage to compare. They were trying everything they possibly could. As much as I hate to say it, there really hasn't been any further updates. In April of 2021, MPD issued an information release to mark five years. They stated that Missy's murder is not a cold case, and investigators still receive tips and leads almost daily. They received more than 3,000 tips in total and traveled across Texas and other states to follow leads. They also added a retired federal agent to the team of investigators whose primary responsibility was to look over Missy's case. Along with the update, they stated that they had obtained a new height analysis of the suspect, which estimated the vertical distance from the floor to the top of the headwear of the suspect to be approximately 5 foot 8 inches, which is one inch taller than the initial 5 foot 2 to 5 foot 7. But when we include tactical boots and a helmet, you're again left in the middle. That would be about average height for a woman, but on the shorter side for a male. And we just don't know the gender of this assailant. The 2021 info release was the last major update in Missy's case. I know that was a lot to take in, so just to recap, at some point before 3.50 a.m. on April 18th, 2016, The suspect entered Creekside Church of Christ and started rummaging around with a hammer or similar tool. Missy entered the church at around 4.20 a.m. and was murdered at some point before 5 a.m. when her body was discovered. She had multiple puncture wounds on her head and chest that were consistent with tools the suspect was carrying throughout the building. Police have not released a motive in Missy's attack and they haven't officially said if they believe she was targeted or not. They have never named a person of interest and they have publicly cleared all of Missy's family, friends, and coworkers. They are not suspects in her murder. Today, MPD still asks that people watch the surveillance footage of the suspect, who is estimated to be five foot eight with a helmet on. Investigators do not know the gender or race of the suspect. However, they believe the suspect is light-skinned. Investigators are also looking for the driver of a silver Nissan Altima, who was seen in the parking lot of the SWFA Outdoors just a few hours before Missy was murdered. The driver is not a suspect, but police would like to speak to them. If you have any information, you can call Crime Stoppers of Ellis County at 972 937 pays or call the Midlothian Police Department Criminal Investigation Division at 972-775-7634. If the information provided leads to an arrest and conviction, the person may be eligible for a $150,000 reward. Of course, I will post these phone numbers in the show notes of this episode. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Missy's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreoncom crime Where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a positive review. It always makes my day. And if you have a case that you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then. We out.